I am Ben. I'm Teo. Together, they call us Ben and Teo, the Pixel, Pixel Vision presenters. <laughs> are you presenters on a podcast? Not really. You're not really like presenting the podcast, are you? You sort of are, I think, but you can also be the podcast host, can't you? We are the hosts of our own podcast. Yeah. And we are also the only guests on our own podcast. And it's called Pixel, Pixel Vision. Vision. Yeah. <laughs> that didn't. That, I like that. the way we always say Pixel Vision at the same time. Yeah, I wasn't sure whether to go with the Pixel Visionaries epithet or not, and I decided against it. I was thinking we should maybe save that as one of our premium tier names. You are kidding me, right? <laughs> become a become a, a a supporter on Patreon. Become a Pixel, Pixel Visionary. <laughs> I do really like the word Pixel Visionary. I was going to get it in naturally during the podcast at some point. Rather than foreground it right at the start, but you know it's done now. It's out in the it's out in the world. It's not done. If you're now. listening to this podcast, you are a pixel visionary. No, no, that'll be edited out. That was all rubbish. <laughs> oh, fuck it. I am Ben, and I am Taya, and we are your hosts of Pixel, pixel Vision. Vision. Can't do it today, mate. It's too early. What, right. you don't want to say it together? Do you want to say it together or not? No, I'm trying to say it together. I'm trying to say it together. It's just not happening together. Hello everybody, I am Taya And I am Ben And this is Pixel Vision Pixel Vision That was bad as well Was that good? That was good Uh, It was close enough Okay, cool So this week we are reviewing Frostpunk, which I'm pretty excited about actually because there's a shit ton to talk about. Are we allowed to swear? Have we swore before? Yeah, oh we, yeah, we, we swear all the before. time. <laughs> Episode one, brilliant. Do you remember your little? Yeah, F A G G O T. How could I forget? <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're not going back there. Yeah. So Frostpunk. Yeah. You enjoyed it. Yeah, and you've got your little, we can't just launch into it, you've got your little thing to talk about. You do your little Teo summary. Oh, yeah, 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 the summary, the summary. Which I feel like needs needs its own name. I tried to give it the, the name Teo, Teo Monologue. Monologue. Yeah, basing it on a nickname I had when I was 13. Yeah. Teo Mon. Which was a bit of a stretch, even for us. <laughs> I tried to forget that one. Frostpunk. So, it is a city-building game with the twist that one of the main things you have to contend with in the game is heat. So, usually in a city-builder, you'll have different resources. In this one, you have coal and wood and steel. But the most difficult thing about the game is that you're in sub-zero temperatures. So, as the game goes along, you build your city outwards from a central generator, and it gets colder and colder, not only globally but also the further you away you get from your generators. So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the most interesting mechanic that it adds, I think, to other city builders that I've played. So is a city builder the same as an RTS or different? No. Because I always think of this as being kind of like an RTS, but it's different. I think definitely not. I think it's a completely different genre. 
like an, a real-time strategy you're always playing against other people that have a, a similar setup to you so you're both building a base or you're both trying to capture points or get capture points or etc cetera, etc cetera. so so the only overlap really then is is um resource management yeah i suppose that that's definitely a factor isn't it when i think of rts i tend to think of um age of empires and that kind of stuff yeah age of empires red alert those are the classic where ones. you're building your base but you're building your base. you've got your little workers you send them out getting wood and whatever else and then you build buildings with them and then those buildings produce other units mm-hmm. that you then build up and that that's pretty much the exact same structure as a game like this you just haven't got a base to attack yeah you don't have an opponent the opponent is the weather yeah and what an opponent it is <laughs> I'm, I'm not i'm pretty sure i mean i just could be way off on this but that seems to be the the main distinction to me is in a city building game you're by yourself building a city and in a real-time strategy whether it's a computer or other real players there'll be someone else on the map which you're contending with and one of the cool mm. things about frostpunk as well city builders can oft- often be a bit overwhelming in their scope like your city gets massive Whereas Frostpunk, it's really contained and claustrophobic. Like even the screen has frost on it that comes around as it gets colder. It's so cool. Yeah. But did you ever actually feel the need to expand beyond that really constricted little bit of screen space? So the way they kind of frame it in the game is that it's a crater. It's almost mm. like you've climbed into a crater to shelter from the storm. It's almost got cliff edges. That's where there's a generator or you've already set up a generator and then your job is to, is to get the generator running, kind of build outwards from there. But the space they give you is, is as Terry says, fairly limited. But I never actually got to the edges, I don't think. Or I, I didn't feel the need to expand beyond them. Yeah, yeah. I, I, thought, I thought initially that I wasn't going to have to worry about space. Um, but there were, there were points where definitely I was planning my buildings um, and like thinking about space in a way which I wasn't expecting to initially um because yeah you don't there aren't that many buildings that you have to build and they're often quite limited so you can only put coal mines and steel works on specific spots so you're limited to two and you know exactly where you're going to build them so that decision is taken away from you completely Mm. unless you decide to build over them with another building which you would never do and it warns you about quite clearly yeah but yeah things like houses amenities for your for your citizens in your town like there's always space to build them really yeah, and also because of the upgrade mechanics. So, um, for instance, with houses that Taylor just mentioned, you start off and you can build a much cheaper tent, and then obviously that's not going to keep you very warm. So eventually you can build a bunkhouse, which fits more people and is a bit warmer, and then you can upgrade to a house. And each time you do that, you can either choose to build it totally fresh, paying the full resources, or you can choose to build it over the existing tent or bunkhouse or whatever else um, for very minorly mitigated resource cost yeah it's not very generous which to be fair in in my own stupidity i didn't realize you could build over houses to begin with so i was like knocking them down and then building them back up really yeah i mean only for like the first couple of hours or something but yeah when i found out you could it felt like such a bonus it's probably worth talking about the the setting for the game um because it's it's implied in the name but it's called Frostpunk because it's a steampunk setting but set in really cold weather taking steam very literally as well true yeah i hadn't even got that pun excellent so maybe like mid 1800s uh for whatever reason there's been a global catastrophe where whereby the world's cooling down really really fast um all the all the countries in the world are falling and so 
civilization's plan of action is to build these generators, take them to the what is now the warmest place, which is still at the very most, 30, de- 30 degrees below zero, um, and to just huddle around and wait out the storm. We roam the still, cold world. No horizon in sight. The rulers of old, stripped of pride and glory. It feels as yesterday we were turning the wheels of progress. Until the frost stopped it all. That's the the premise of the main campaign. I mean, they kind of all tie into that campaign. But um, in the base game, you've got the main campaign, which I can't remember actually what it's called now. Oh, it's called A, a New, new home. home. Yeah, A New Home. Um, and the, the premise is essentially exactly as Ted described, massive storm coming, prep to survive type vibe. And then the other scenarios are the arcs, which is when you protect seedlings to re- repopulate the world after the storm. And the refugees, which is exactly what it sounds like. The game kind of throws people arriving at you to your little habitation in waves and you've got to accommodate them all or you don't actually have to you can choose whether you do or you don't yeah we'll get to the decision making because that's something which they really tried to weave into the game yeah and then fall of winter home which kind of gives you a really badly designed city where there's been a generator incident there's been a massive explosion and you've got to fix the generator and this is almost a spoiler so maybe i shouldn't say it but then the generator fails again and you then have to prep to escape Oh yeah, the fall of Winterhome. I don't know how everyone feels about city building games where you don't get to build your city from the start, but in that mission you start with loads of burned down houses which you have to clear in half the city and then the other half of the city is still standing but it's been planned for you and planned aesthetically anyway, terribly. Not just aesthetically. It's my worst nightmare in a city building game where I'm given a, a really crap city to start off with. The whole fun is building it from the start. time to waste we've got work to do yeah and also that whoever designed it i reckon an ai designed it because there is no logic to it whatsoever the roads they're just there's roads everywhere there's not enough space to like build between the roads Hmm. in a lot of instances no and that no it makes perfect sense for the setting because you're taken over from the mayor who was like an idiot and it even says poorly designed city yeah, it does. Control I mean, that's obviously intended as to make the difficulty level harder as well. Mm. That's not just a, a cock up on their part. Flavor. In terms of getting started, when I first started playing, um, it seemed like a ton of info to absorb. But when you first start, and there's like a lot of trial and error required just to kind of figure out the basic gameplay, and I was definitely out of my depth. I tried to just approach it like I would any other game. And I think when it when the game said, 80 of your workers have died, I was like, that was in one go as well. Literally in one go. I was like, okay, yeah, I think that's that's not meant to happen. <laughs> I always feel like I'm bragging like elite gamer, but we'll get to why I was bad at it later as well. But the deaths I didn't struggle with. I didn't have a single death on my first playthrough. Really? Yeah. Well, you didn't have a single death on your first playthrough? Oh, I just, I like basically don't believe you. Actually, maybe I did. Maybe I did. You must have, because there's so many ways for your guys to... I kept checking my graveyard. I was was checking my graveyard over and over again. I was like, I built you a graveyard, guys. Why aren't you using it? It's because no one's dying. Job done. Now, I reloaded after about uh, 30 minutes, I'd say. Um, Uh Once I'd kind of realised, okay, I should have done this differently. I should have done this differently. These should have been my priorities. Um, Then I thought, 
I'll just start again. And when I did, then I was able to play through to the end and survive, which was nice. Yeah, let's talk about A New Home in, in quite a lot of detail, I think, because whole, that whole story mission is really cool. All right, but before we do, I know you completed A New Home. Did you complete the game? Did you complete the other cases? I completed them in a way. I played so, all so of them no. through to my end, which was failure on each and every one. Really? Yeah, yeah. So there's there's four missions, four main missions, um, not including the expansions. Um, and the, yeah, the, the first one's the longest, I would say, by the by far. Is that fair? Uh, I think it is. Yeah, I didn't complete the other, so I shouldn't actually I shouldn't actually say. But it. I mean, so, either way, it felt the longest because that's the one you start with, and you're playing mm-hmm. it mostly in real time. Whereas the others, I don't know about you, but it, the game gives you the option to fast forward if you like to speed through time, and I use that constantly. Yeah, I use that a lot as well. But um, yeah, on all of the others, I, I failed what, on what felt like the last hurdle. So you're given sort of different mini objectives throughout the mission. But then the last one is always quite hard. Um, oh, here comes the not, elite gamer. <laughs> let's, not, let's not spoil what, what, what it is in a new home because it is a spoiler, but we'll talk about it later. But yeah, in, e- in each and every one, it's gather up enough stuff, basically. Like, have, have you got enough stuff? Um, and in every every instance, it was like I don't have enough time to gather all that, so it's just yeah, just failed, kicked out, banished, banished from. My and own had you city. not saved with enough regularity that you could just go back a little bit to try and finish? I didn't try and do that. To be fair, I just went on to the next one because I wanted to experience all of. Yeah. Oh man, what a letdown! Sorry. So you, you, Although, you got me on this. I've one. got to say, like. For for the for a guy who didn't lose a single man in his first playthrough of a new home, <laughs> well maybe I'm prioritising uh, my citizens' welfare or something, whereas you're getting getting the child workers down the mine. But oh yeah, I, I enough, fully was. I was resources. not. I was not prioritising my workers' welfare. Not a chance. No way. They were just extra resources. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so we talked about the game uh, forcing you to make decisions and quite often they're moral decisions and a lot of the tech tree is designed uh, by writing laws in, in f- for your city and so a law might be to make child working illegal or you might build shelters for the children and then give them apprenticeships. Um, Another one might be like a fighting arena or a pub or something like that. Yeah, or tr- or triage in your medical centres, or mm. um, or bi- rather than building a, a cemetery where you can kind of pay respect to the dead, instead you can build like a frost pit so that you can mm. re harvest the dead's organs and that kind of stuff. Listen, everyone, new law is signed, and it's all predicated on this idea of survival. So you have to make sacrifices in order to survive. Mm. Um, did you think it did its it did its job? Did that aspect of the game hit for you? Um, I think on the first playthrough it did. Yeah. Mm. I think in the first playthrough it did. So, so there's two other sort of measures that we haven't mentioned. In addition to the temperature being one of your foes, arguably you've got two more. One is the hope of your people and one is uh, yeah. the discontent of your people, mm. um, which are obviously linked um anyway because obviously if you're if you've got if you're extremely discontented the logic would follow you're probably not that hopeful either but the game separates them out um and that's part of the reason why you're why you're making laws isn't it because usually you reach a what's the word just a stage in the game when 
your people are demanding something from you mm. or they're getting really discontented or they're losing all hope and you need to do something that will relieve that trouble yeah so hope is falling you can't not make a decision you have to sign a law which will make your people more hopeful or less discontented usually it's, it's often one or the other isn't it yeah and it's fine and, and it's throughout it's finding that balance To begin with, it starts with um, early on in the in in the game. Well, in each campaign, you're usually given just one kind of tree, sort of skill tree, but of, of laws. I don't know what you'd call mm. that—a book of laws. Let's call it. Yeah, yeah, and that is exactly what it's called. A constitution, <laughs> and um, yeah, that that starts. I can't remember what that's called now. That, that adaptation. Oh yeah, adaptation. Yeah, that tree is called adaptation, and. That's the one where you, you have the laws that Taylor just described. Th- that tends to tackle discontent. But then there's another tree as the game progresses that gets unlocked, which is where you can choose a path forwards, either playing spirituality and faith or law and order. And if you go down the law and order route, you're basically going sort of full on Stasi with propaganda centers and the like. And if you go down spirituality, then you can go Sharia law, public penance, faith keepers, all that sort of stuff. Um, and eventually, whichever one you choose, you, you get the ability to lose your hope bar altogether, which I really like as a, as a thematic development, mm. because it basically shows that people have so much, they, they have total faith, so they don't need hope, which is really cool. Mm. I don't know how it works quite as well in the law and order one, but in the, in the faith one, it works. <laughs> Did you go faith then on a new home? The first time I played it through, I really enjoyed it. And I managed to complete it successfully, but I did struggle and I felt like the game never let me feel in control, like something was always going wrong. So as soon as I finished my first playthrough, which is I chose Spirituality and Faith, I just played it again back to back. And this time I chose Law and Order. Mm. And I, I probably, in fairness, because I knew what was coming and because I'd already played it and I was more experienced, I just found it an absolute breeze the next time I played through. I was pretty bored, actually, at times. Uh yeah, I thought. I mean, I thought we'd probably talk about replayability later, but I did. I I thought the same thing myself. I thought if I played this through again, because I I'd know all the twists and turns. Yeah, I'd be able to anticipate. But on the on the first playthrough, I thought those were really really effective. Yeah, yeah. Like I I felt like I was surviving and fighting for my life th- throughout that whole campaign. Whenever whenever I settled down and thought, oh no, I've kind of got this sorted now, something else would happen which would throw me back. Yeah, for sure. Which you can't always say with city building games. Often they do um, settle into a rhythm, which you can which you can predict. Um, and even from, camp- from campaign mission to campaign mission, it's the, it's the same rhythms. Um, but they've obviously tried really hard to curate your experience from um, start to finish on each of those stories. So did you play Spirituality and Faith or Law and Order? I went for Order. I actually I probably spent 10 minutes deciding because it felt like such a significant decision that it would affect my whole my whole th- journey through the through the rest of the mission that mm. I found it really hard to decide. I didn't want to miss out on one or the other. Also, maybe that's not even true. It's not that I didn't want to miss out on the other one. It's that I didn't particularly want to choose either path. And that is exactly what they wanted, I think. Like you said, it's either Stasi or just ex- extreme religious law. Yeah, extremism. Neither of those are good options, but 
the game says you have to make one in order the to thing survive. is they don't start like that mm. you start with just a little temple or a shrine or something like that or a essentially sort of church-like buildings yeah yeah just little churches that then offer services and people can go and it kind of just fills their hope and i assume it raises their discontent or diminishes their discontent because uh they're gathering and they've got a sense of community and all that kind of stuff mm. and so it's quite logical soup kitchens to feed your workers yeah exactly the soup kitchen's quite a nice one um but then the only way to develop down the path is to go more and more extreme mm. until you end up with public penance mm. and you've literally and got faith keepers walking around whipping people. And you're clicking the laws, you're signing the laws because your hope is falling due to, due to adverse conditions. So you might, mm. you might see a law and you might be like, I, I don't want to sign that law. That doesn't sound very nice. But hope is really low, so I guess I have to click it and get my hope up. Yeah, exactly. What did you make of the fact that they do give you that choice at all? Like, why should it be a choice to go law and order or faith? Well, it was the design decision with the game, I believe, to uh, just simulate um, the difficult macro decisions that that a leader might make in that situation. Yeah, but my point is... um is you can you can pursue faith and also have law and order right you don't you don't, you could easily have guard towers and oh. watchmen and patrols in your streets and also have a church those things aren't mutually exclusive oh i see yeah i mean it's not uh, well yeah for sure i mean it's yeah 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 i agree they're not they're not mutually exclusive but it's just it's a it's a flavor of how some like a way things could be I guess. Yeah, but I mean, I guess what I'm saying is they could easily have mitigated that and arguably made the game either harder or at least more dynamic Mm. by just giving you a choice of all three trees at all time Mm. rather than... So what happens is as soon as you say, oh, I'm going law and order, I'm going faith, the other one just gets locked off. You never see it again, which is is fine. But maybe that's that's in, in order to force you to go extreme in whichever path you've taken. Because mm. I suppose if you if you didn't have to go extreme in Lord and Order, you could maybe start building the watchtowers and having the patrols, which are all pretty mild. And then when it becomes a choice of building a prison or a propaganda centre, instead you can choose to build a church mm. <laughs> and sort of dilute the gravity of it, maybe. Mm. I don't know. Did you, um, did you play the studio's previous game, This War of Mine? No, I didn't actually. It's interesting because that game focuses in on Essentially, you're playing in a shell-shocked city, like a, war- a war-torn city, where you're having to sneak around the occupying military to gather enough food to feed the the like small number of people that are huddling together in a building. Yeah. So um, there's an overlap. Oh, there's massive overlap in what they're trying to do with the two games. But whereas this war of mine focuses r- very much on the personal experience of adversity, this is massively uh, focusing on the ma- like macro experience of it at a high level but they have still tried to work in that personal experience with all of your people so everyone in your city has a name you see little dialogue boxes of them like pop up on the screen um so they've 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 kind of tried to do both um and i don't know if whether i mean you've already mentioned that you were using child workers like did you think that really hit for you what emotionally yeah yeah emotionally because that's what they're trying to do with these games. In a, like most games, don't try and do it as as blatantly as, as those two games. I don't think. I think. Oh, do you know what? Like, I'm not sure now. I've played so much of it. Steam reckons I've played about forty hours of it, or a bit more. So I don't know. I feel like maybe initially when I played through it, 
I did feel that there was some emotional... The problem is there isn't any real emotional fallout. So, like, when I first started, I remember trying to avoid putting children to work, for instance. But then when I realised there wasn't really any penalty for putting children to work, other than every now and again, maybe, there's there's an accident and it says a child's crushed at work or something like that. And you think, oh, that's that's not very good. But then... Do you realise how evil you sound now? (laughs) You know, it's not really much of a penalty. Every now and again, a child crushed. (laughs) Yeah, but what I mean is, it's not a... It's it's not a a qualitative penalty in the sense that within the game you you it's more efficient to use children, mm. <laughs> um, mm. and you don't really have the same sort of sense of humanitarian responsibility because you're conscious at all times that these are just numbers on a screen, so mm. it doesn't really matter. And also, if you have loads and loads of kids, um, that's that's quite annoying. <laughs> Because you need workers. Yeah, I mean, I'm taking the piss out of you, but you're you're spot on. They are just numbers. And my on my first playthrough, I didn't send a single child to work. But then on the subsequent missions, I was like, well, I'll test this out just just to see what happens with the game. And there is no fallout at all, like you say. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I joke like a child being crushed is obviously a really bad thing. But in the game, in terms of fallout. It's not. Like, there are loads of bad things happening to you all the time. That's just another bad thing that's happened. And you get numb to it so quickly. Exactly, yeah. I mean, if I've literally got hangings in my street, which I also wouldn't approve of in real life, but if that's the way to get to get rid of hope as being a crisis, and just get rid of hope, and people even worrying about hope, is to have hangings in my street. Well, that's a bit weird, but yeah, I'll, I'll roll with it. But I wonder, did they want you to care or did they want you to realize that you don't care when you're making those decisions i'm curious about how deep the design the designers were thinking when they like thought through the psychology of this game because they've clearly thought about it quite a lot yeah they have they definitely have uh i think they definitely want you to care they don't want you to realize that you don't care because the only reason you don't care is because you're playing a game (laughs) it's not that you don't care it's that they haven't effectively made you care like if you take Mm. another game which has which plays massively on on your kind of emotional heartstrings or emotional chords like the last of us or something like that that's a game that makes you care everyone i have cared for has either died or left me everyone fucking except for you so don't tell me that I would be safer with someone else because the truth is I would just be more scared. When I played that game, I, I went from literally never wanting children to being like, oh, I feel like such a dad to this girl. And that, that is an emotional connection that the game generates. Yeah, I think you told me that The Last of Us made you want to have children. Yeah, I was watering it down for, the, for our listeners, but all right. Any other diary entries you want to be sharing, Taylor? No, just that one. What are you doing to me? Dropping bombs like that. Sorry, sorry. You're talking about games like Last of Us really do make you emotionally invested in the characters, whereas games like this do not. Mm -hmm. But that's because it's a city builder. How can you care about your residents to the same extent as you care about Ellie and Joel um, in a city builder? You couldn't possibly care about all of your citizens in that way. So 
Do you think they thought about that and they're making the game? Surely they did. Maybe. I mean, I think they've made they've given it their best effort to make you care. And like like you said, the first playthrough, we each did kind of factor in those elements. You know, I was trying not to run emergency shifts because I was concerned about the welfare. Aside from anything else, because people randomly just die in emergency shifts. Actually, emergency shifts are quite a good example of where the game says, oh, you know, people are demanding uh, extra food rations if they're going to work such long hours. Will you pay them extra food? And then if you choose no, there's no penalty. It just says nothing changes next to it. Mm. And if you choose yes, well, then every time you give emergency shifts you're going to be losing food mm. there's an obvious logical solution there and really that that isn't a challenge emotionally mm. i don't know there's just it yeah. feels like something's missing there too yeah yeah it, but it's the most interesting thing that the game tries to do it tries to make you care when really what you have are sliders your 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 min maxing sliders but you you're try they it, they try as hard as they possibly can to make you care about those sliders so every so so when you press a button, give extra food rations. It might not do anything, but you you care about giving your people extra food rations or you don't care, so you don't do it. Mm. There's another element of the game which we didn't mention yet, which is uh, you kind of explore the wasteland around you. Um, mm. The tundra. Eh? Never take the tundra lightly. It can drive a man insane. You know what it is about this place? You get to a man. Have a look through here. What do you see? Nothing. Exactly. It's the nothingness. The whiteness. The endlessness. Stretching on beyond the human imagination. Desolation of the soul. Oh is that Mighty Boosh? It is Mighty Boosh, yeah. Love a Mighty Boosh reference. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically, you can explore the frozen tundra around you and send out scouts and the scouts will go to wrecks that you left on your way there or th or landmarks that you notice so things like frozen lake or frosted woodland <laughs> i don't know why everything is frost related but it usually everything is, is frost related <laughs> yeah um, in this game <laughs> cold oasis or something like that and then that when they get there they might either discover resources they might discover survivors or they might discover what the game calls an outpost which is kind of a permanent resource that you can continue mining basically or there might be a threat there so for instance when i discovered some caves it said there's bears in the cave <laughs> but there's also survivors do you want to try and rescue the survivors mm -hmm. but face off against the bears that's kind of cool and i actually found and maybe this is, says more about me than the game that one of my favorite elements of the game if not my favorite element was the exploration of the surrounding wasteland and sending my scouts out. And I always advanced my scouts to be as fast as possible. But the problem is, there aren't that many places to explore. The game doesn't give you that many places to explore. In every single campaign, I explored everywhere and just had to disband all my scouts. And I felt that was a disappointment because in real life, there is not a finite number of places to explore. <laughs> Yeah, so it's a fair point. The The stories that you get when you enter each location with your scouts are a really nice touch. And yeah, I, I love enjoyed, the stories. I enjoyed reading those and it splits it splits up the monotony of um, managing your city as well when you're going between those two screens. So you might do a bit of town planning, you might sign a law, you might then go to the exploration screen, see what your scouts are doing. That's quite cool um, and it kept me really engaged. 
However, I would say the scouts suffered from the same problem as the game, which eventually they just become uh, something you send somewhere to get more resources because you know that's what they're going to get. Like, occasionally there's slightly more interesting decisions to make, as in there's some survivors there. Do you want to risk your scouts' lives by saving them from the bears and maybe get some more people? But if you don't need any more people, then... Yeah. I would often save the people anyway, just because I wanted to see what the flavour text was. But they're just a, a gathering mechanic at the end of the day. But they're, they're really nicely integrated in terms of story. They are. They are. I, I, like you say, I really enjoyed reading the descriptions. And actually, I felt sometimes I felt more emotionally invested in my scouts mm. than I did in my other characters. Because, you know, if you've, just be, if you've used the same scouts for ages and then they get to a point and it says... For instance, there's a city called Tesla City and there's an electric storm going on there and it's like, oh, we can try and mm. enter the city but it looks a bit dangerous. Do you want it or not? And on my first playthrough, I was like, no way. I'm not I'm not risking my scouts' lives. Um, whereas on my second playthrough, I sent them in. And spoiler alert, it, it wasn't good. They all died. <laughs> they all died. Although I'm glad I did send them in because it turns out that Tesla City, again, spoiler alert, is a Steam Core outpost, which I never would have known yeah, about. Yeah, the most rare resource that you need to to build the most complicated technology in the game. Yeah, man alive. The first playthrough, I honestly never had Steam Cores. I couldn't figure out why I didn't have any Steam Cores. It's just because I didn't kill, I didn't sacrifice my scouts at Tesla City. <laughs> so I had no idea that that was a Steam Core outpost. Yeah, you're right. I did, I did care more about my scouts than the people in my coal mine because it's the same. There's only five of them. Still didn't know their names, but you do get invested in them. Whereas your coal mines, your steelworks, your sawmills, anyone could be in there. It's just 15 people. While we're on the discussion of kind of like the emotional weight of the decisions you make, forgetting the emotional element, what did you make of just the weight of the decisions you make? So for instance, in the game, if you choose to build a fighting arena... Some of your people will say, oh, great, we can blow off some steam. And other of your people will say, oh, this doesn't seem like a very sensible idea. A fighter's going to obey the law. And as soon as they said that, I was like, oh, hello, I've introduced an an element here where I'm going to create problems for myself. But you don't. There's no upshot. No, just just good things. Just lowers discontent. Yeah. Who knew fighting was so great? <laughs> exactly. And the same with duels. Uh, you can you can allow duels where people can, again, blow off steam by literally shooting one another when they have issues. And that will lower your mm. discontent. But there's no downside to that at all. And people hardly ever die from a duel as well. Yeah. I wonder, it's not good to second guess the game design necessarily, but I wonder if they pegged back some of those, cha- some of those um, effects from things you did because the game was already difficult enough. Did you play it on higher difficulty levels? I didn't, so I'm just curious. I played it on its normal difficulty. Same. I can't remember what the difficulty tiers are that it gives you. There are five and normal's the second. Okay, yeah. But I mean, for sure, my on your first playthrough, even normal is, is difficult. Mm, it is. It's really difficult. But yeah, like you say, like the fighting arena just lowers discontent. No disadvantage to that whatsoever. But there are those little pop-ups on the screen with your people people speaking giving you like both sides it's that classic thing in um all political decisions there are always two sides to the argument they're always going to be one one person disagreeing with another person but uh, it just didn't it didn't ring true whenever those pop-ups came up because you knew what the effect was it told you in black and white what was going to happen so 
who cares what the people say? Yeah, it's so true. I think you're right. I think they might have originally envisioned more serious consequences and then and then it felt like it drew them back because for instance with uh we've already talked about fighting arenas but that could have increased violence in your city or it could have meant Mm. that you know actually you get spikes in discontent or you get um pro uh, like more violent protests or something like that because every now and again the the workers will protest against against their conditions if they've got cold houses or whatever else um and then duels could have led to gunfighters or armed rebellions or like something like that. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And and similarly, not on law and order or adaptation, but on spirituality tree, like pursuing something like hardcore corporal punishment for sins might have led to pe- to your workers like self-flagellating mm. or something like that and injuring themselves or even accidentally suiciding or whatever. Especially because the game does give you this warning right at the beginning. It says, oh, be careful, because as you make laws, there will be unintended consequences. Mm. There never are. The, the consequences are written, as you say, exactly when you, met, when you choose the law. Yeah, it could have, you're right, it could have done with a little bit more mystery. So maybe, I wonder what the effect it would be for a player if you didn't, if you didn't get to see exactly what the laws did. You just had to guess based on that, based on the thematic text that you're given and how that how much that would have more it would have added or taken away from the game well that would have been challenging for sure (laughs) that would have been really challenging (laughs) yeah um well so the other thing is that what the game does and i don't think this is a spoiler but if you're super concerned about spoilers maybe don't listen but the end of the game it gives you a summary of all your decision making what you chose to do during the game as you know a lot of these games try and say oh you turned from a benign dictator into a vicious Mm. ruler and these are what things you Mm. did but actually most games when they do that they're almost pointing out like i'm pretty sure we even talked about this with disco elysium it does a similar it gave a similar kind of sum up for you didn't it yeah yeah. and you really enjoyed that and you'd forgotten some of the decisions you made or what your how your morals had changed Mm. but with this game when it gave me the sum up of what my decisions were i just thought like well yeah i know i just made those decisions (laughs) minutes ago (laughs) it literally says you built watchtowers you built prisons and i'm thinking yeah I, i know that i've been playing um, it didn't feel clever or, or reminding me how I changed as a person or anything like that. It was just a bit pointless. Yeah, there's, there's not, there, there is not, you're, to, you're spot on with that. There's not much subtlety to that breakdown. It's just a description <laughs> of the decisions you made. And you know you made those decisions because you clicked on them. And there weren't that many of them. I had even more of a problem with mine. I just thought mine was wrong. What? I just thought, that's not, that's not how I played the game. Like, the, some of the descriptions were right, but then it really focused in on some things where maybe I made one decision, which was a little bit like that, and then it told me I was like that. Right, yeah. And I thought, I'm not like that. <laughs> I really tried not to be like that, which is even more frustrating. No nuance. I could see why the algorithm, yeah, I could see why the algorithm would put me in that box, but I thought, your algorithm needs to be better if you're putting me in that box, because... That wasn't the way I played. Is that like on your first playthrough when you didn't lose any men, except for maybe one, and it said you didn't care for the welfare of your people because one of them died? it said that. It said that. It said I didn't care for the welfare of my people. And I was like, everyone has the best house they could possibly have with the best insulation. Nobody went cold. (laughs) 
What did you think of... Um, maybe we just need to say we're in spoiler territory now, because I feel like some of the stuff we're going to talk about is just... Yeah, go on, because I want to talk about the end of The New Home, because I think that was one of the most affecting parts of it. I actually felt like the end of each of the campaigns always felt like an anticlimax. Interesting. Like, I felt like the excitement and the, and the pleasure of playing didn't peak at the end. If anything, it just sort of fizzled out. And I was kind of like, oh, that's the end. What did you make? It sounded like you were a lot more well-prepared than me. Is that because you felt like you were so well-prepared that you couldn't be touched by what the game was throwing at you? No, I think it's because I wanted, having equipped my city to... So, for instance, a new home, the big threat at the end. I mean, it's kind of obvious from the beginning is, is a big storm, but the storm really, mm. really comes at you. Like, it, it drops to ludicrous temperatures. Mm. All your workplaces ended up closing, no matter how good your insulation. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter because this storm is so bad <laughs> that everything gets knocked out. Your people have to stay home. No, nothing can work. I'm pretty sure even some of your automatons, again, another gameplay mechanic we failed to mention, <laughs> but automatons you can build in a factory and they basically replace human workers mm. at a cost to efficiency. But it's not really a cost to efficiency because they work 24-7, so arguably always more efficient. And you can upgrade their efficiency as well. But yeah, so even if you've got automatons at the end of the game, like when the storm comes, some of your buildings will still just be too cold for them to operate. Mm imagine what it would be like if you hadn't done all that preparation (laughs) that's what i thought i thought whoa i'm glad everything is as top quality as it possibly can be because if it wasn't everyone would just be ice cubes by the end of this thing yeah you've got to have stockpiled sufficient coal to keep your generator running sufficient food to feed everyone and food is is broken into food rations which is like the cooked food prepared meals which might be soup which isn't as effective because it it's a bit crap of a meal, I guess. It raises discontent, you'll be surprised to hear. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is weird, because I love a good soup. But I suppose if it was exclusively yeah, I love soup. soup, then maybe. Maybe it's more it like one of those broths, like one of those just... Thin, really thin. <laughs> um, uh, so so you can build soup as well. What the hell am I talking about, building soup? You can cook soup as well. Are you hungry? <laughs> <laughs> you can build soup as well. <laughs> Yeah, so then, or raw food as well. And you need to have stockpiled that. You need to have stockpiled pretty much everything, actually. Mm. Um, But enough that lasts days and days and days of a storm that is Mm. getting worse and worse. But then, so so you do that and you're kind of weathering this storm. And then it's like, oh, the weather's turned good again. Well done. And then it just ends. And I was like, are you kidding? I, I want to, like, carry on. What's the next? What's, what happens next? Like, I've, I've gone to all this effort to get through the storm. Mm. I don't want to just stop. It almost felt like it had taken yeah. the purpose out from under the campaign. But this is, a, this is a feeling which you often have in city building games, is the challenge of the start, like, makes way for the, I don't know, intricacies of the mid-game where you're having to make all these interesting planning decisions. And then the late game, where you're sorted... And you think, now I can just sit back and look at what I've what I've made. But then it's like, what do you do next? You're finished. So I, I was kind of glad that it ended there. Didn't try and stretch it out. Because once you're done, you're done. What, what more can be added at that point? And I suppose that brings us both to replayability, but also to the fact that there is an endless mode. So if you did want to just play indefinitely, you could. Mm. Um, but yeah, let's, let's talk about replayability then, because... Like I said, I kind of back-to-backed mm. almost all of it. Um, 
So played a new home twice in a row. Second playthrough was pretty much a DOS and a bit tedious. And then even with the other campaigns which give you these different frameworks, so trying to protect the seedlings, for instance, from the cold, mm. like once you kind of get your head around those, then it's just the same as the other campaigns. Once you know what your your revised priority is, you just adjust your tactics. But all, everything you do is the same. All the buildings are the same, etc. But the interesting hook in the arcs, the seedlings one, is that you're building an autonomous city. So your goal is not to help your people survive, but to make sure that your city outlasts your people, mm -hmm. which I actually thought was quite an interesting narrative, especially when your people start to be like, actually, it would be great if we could survive, please. <laughs> and you're like, no, no, the seeds come first. <laughs> yeah, that, that is true. Yeah, so that's, that's not quite as clear cut as I made it sound, actually, because you also, while you're trying to protect your seedlings, you discover that there's a neighbouring settlement that's, that's really poorly equipped, that you then get given the moral dilemma of whether you should save it or not. Mm. And I assume everybody does, because I don't know what players just like, nah, can't be bothered. I'll just focus on these damn seedlings. I, that's what I did. I'm here to do a job. Yeah, oh, I'm here to save the seeds. <laughs> I did both. Got the achievement and everything. Well, yeah. And I failed at both. So <laughs> I guess we knew, we guess we know who made the good decision. <laughs> oh, man alive. Um, yeah, one of the cool things about automatons actually is because, as you say, with that scenario, you do need to just almost 100% focus on developing automatons mm. is that they're not without their own flaws. So as you build them, they'll become entangled in the buildings, which can force a closure, or they might like topple over and crush and cripple a citizen who then needs to be amputated. Or um, they also need to go to your generator to reach to like recharge every day. Um, so that, that's kind of a, a bit of a burden, arguably, as well. And I, I quite liked that there were those penalties. If anything, I thought they could have introduced a few more penalties for using them. Because once you do manage to get an almost fully autonomous city, you're so efficient. Like, your stats are just mm. rocketing up. Did you care more about your automatons getting stuck in your coal mine than you did about your workers <laughs> I getting did. crushed in your coal mine. I did. I didn't think about it until just now, but I definitely did as well. Because you've only got four or five of them. Well, I did. You, you might have had more. Um, so when one breaks down and got, it got entangled, I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> yeah. Shut it down, shut it down. Save the automaton. Yeah, yeah, same. That, that, that was a weird one, actually. So basically the game gives you this option at one stage when your automaton gets tangled in a building. You can either shut down the building for 12 hours or shut down the automaton for 12 hours and i was kind of thinking what kind of choice is that like either way you're not working either way i'm shutting down the, the production sort of thing <laughs> yeah exactly i feel like i'm getting tangled saying the word automaton so many times yeah that's true well is there another word for robot i guess no that's what they called them in the game it's just quite a tricky word to say i like automatons if you've got enough goddamn steam course so resource intensive those automatons they cost an absolute fortune what i thought was cool about them is that they managed to do such dexterous little tasks with such massive limbs <laughs> yeah ludicrous. you can upgrade your medical centers to, uh, sorry your automatons to work in medical centers and infirmaries and stuff like and that and honestly if you see them you'd be like i don't i don't want it operating on me sorry <laughs> they are massive they're bigger than all of your buildings yeah they look like droid not, walkers not together or the um mm. what are those things in half-life called those massive like 
Oh, God, that's embarrassing. From which one, sorry? Do you know what I mean? In Half-Life 2, you've got those huge sort of three-legged tripod robot oh, things. Yeah. That no, I, I can't remember what they're called, but I know exactly what you mean. What the hell? A Strider! Yeah, they're kind of like those as well. They're quite War of the Worlds-y, aren't they? Well, I always feel like I'm undermining my fan status when I can't remember details of a game I profess to love. That's annoying. I don't know why. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, bottom line, replayability, I didn't think was really there. And I definitely wouldn't play it again now. Like I've, I've played 40 hours, finished all the campaigns. I don't see any reason to carry mm. on. And I don't see any reason to get the DLC either. Although I understand they've changed it to go from Frost to Greenery. Mm, that's in the last autumn, which is a, a prequel to the weather changing. Mm. Which is, I think, you know, that's a nice touch. Um, I feel exactly the same way, but I wonder if that's more to do with me than the game, than... I feel like I've conquered the challenge of the game. I've seen everything it has to see, and now I'm ready to move on. I'm not. I don't want to go back to it and optimize and pl- like play play through on the endless mode or play through on higher difficulties. Although that said, I am interested to see just how difficult it can be. Certainly, with this war of mine, uh, I really enjoyed ramping up the difficulty to see if I could survive. But maybe it's just because it takes a little bit too long. Like you could, you could probably start a game on hard, spend three hours on it and get absolutely nowhere, and then spend another three hours on it and get absolutely nowhere. But you wouldn't know you'd got nowhere until three hours down the line. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's, it's quite one. a big time investment, I would say. Mm. But if it's in, but if it, there will definitely be be people that in, enjoy the planning and the challenge of the core city building so much that I think they'd want to go back to it. Do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, there, there must be because. I mean, the fact that there are so many difficulty levels, like you wouldn't just play Mm. on extremely hard the Mm. first time. There's just not a chance. That would be insane. Um, So those people must slowly ramp up, which means their tolerance level for just repeating the exact Mm. same mechanics and experiencing the exact same crises Mm. over and over and over again must be much higher than mine. One one of the things I thought was quite cool... um, I, I don't know whether you got any of the achievements, what with failing yeah, all got, the campaigns. Got a few of the achievements. I'm just going to rub that in every time. Uh, some of them are quite funny. Like the, you get one called Oxbridge for setting up four workshops at the same time. Yeah, got that There's one. There's a little Monty Python reference. Tis butter scratch. Yeah, got for that finishing one. a playthrough without an infirmary. Banksy for dealing with Londoners graffiti peacefully. Yeah, got that one. I, I, I just quite like, I like it when a game has real world uh pop culture references mm. but that are integrated into the game in such a way that you don't feel like they're abandoning their game world in order to give you a nod and a wink yeah instead it's more subtle than that i, I remember you saying the same thing about disco elysium maybe there's a reference to brexit in there or something that you quite yeah, yeah yeah seems like a remainer i remember yeah that. seems like a remainer that was the one well, i remembered yeah so that was pretty cool that was a cool thing i wanted to say about the end of new home actually uh is you felt like it was a bit of an anti-climax but I managed to survive that storm and I think I had a hundred coal left or something like that. And maybe like a few, a few bowls of soup. And at the end of the storm, <laughs> at the end of, at the end Celebratory of the storm, meal. I like, that I had just enough stuff to survive it anymore. Who's up for huddling around the coals with a bowl of soup? Yeah. That's great. <laughs> it's stressful when your generator runs out of coal, actually. Yeah. Because it sort of slowly loses its power and then your heating gets worse and worse and worse. Discontent rises, hope lowers. 
but uh, again only the first time like when when you, when that happens mm-hmm. to you once you're like right i need to ensure that that doesn't happen again and you go out of your way to ensure it doesn't and mm-hmm. it doesn't in, in in general like every problem that the game poses and it does feel like you're massively almost playing a game of whack-a-mole at times mm. but you, like juggling crises especially to begin with when it's you're not expecting anything and just things keep going wrong mm. and, and i love that sensation yeah, of like feeling that frantic feeling well. and like oh i'm trying to ca- I'm, I'm playing catch up the whole time but as soon as i got ahead of the game then it was like okay yeah i can handle that oh, okay i can and and, and, and once it, they start saying oh, this crisis is breaking out among your people and you already know because you've done it loads of times that there's no upshot of that. There's no dire consequences. You're like, yeah, okay, who cares? Mm. Like little things. Like at one point, a guy, a, a guy's daughter runs off into the wilderness. It's like, a little girl's ran off into the tundra. A man wants to bar- borrow a scout sled and go look for her. And I was like, well, yeah, all right, fill your boots if you want to go. So he left. It didn't cost me a scout sled or anything else, as far as I can tell. Ten he wood, just left, so it cost me one worker. And then right at the end of the game, it's like, he's come back. He's found his daughter. I was like, great. I'd forgotten he'd even gone. <laughs> no, there was no change in hope, no change in discontent. It was like, what? Mm. All those all those little vignettes, little stories that are going on in, in your city that you're meant to care about. Yeah, just didn't didn't quite work. And the, it's not just the balance in that regard, but it's also the balance in technologies. Like I felt like, I can't put my finger on why exactly, but I felt like some technologies seem to cost too much for what they provide. Um, and the order unlock, you unlock them is so kind of critical, especially in certain playthroughs, that that giving you the choice of an order to unlock them is almost kind of, doesn't really make that much sense. Yeah, because as soon as you've after determined. one playthrough, you've determined which is the most efficient. And so you will just pick that Exa- order. Exactly, Absolutely. yeah. And and if you get get that wrong, well then that's obviously really punishing. But you don't after you've met, after you've got it wrong once. Mm. So I don't know. I just think the balance isn't quite right in a lot of the game. All this being said, though, I feel like I'm being quite harsh. And actually, yeah, I was just about to say, especially that. my first playthrough, I did I did actually love it. And like I say, forty hours in. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I I really liked it as a game. It's the first city builder I played in in ages and ages, and I've been looking forward to playing it for a while. Um, and I and I and I really I enjoyed it a lot. I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was an, an excellent city builder, very very well executed. I was just I'm I'm being I'm being critical because I think the things that it tried to do differently didn't quite work. But maybe they did. Just, I'm still unsure about the design decisions and how how much they thought about like the caring not caring thing. I'm the same. Like the only reason I'm being critical is more just because I wanted more. I want like I loved what they gave me, but I just wanted more of it. Like I wanted more more places to explore, more options of technologies on the tree, mm. more of um, pretty much everything. Like more consequences mm. to my actions, or at least for them to play around with the mechanics, like you've already said. So have have more effects from building certain buildings and have more things happen in the game, more little stories. Yeah. Some of the so, some of the missions they take away some of your tech tree choices, and that felt really nice. Um, as soon as I saw I wasn't able to get some of the things I was used to be able to get, then I thought, oh, cool, now I'm forced to make a different decision. Um, and, it, and I can think, I don't just have to do the same thing that I did before. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the main theme, like music, is good, I thought. I really enjoyed the, the sort of ambiance of the game. Yeah, quite a lot of... 
Well, yeah, when it's changing between climates, it gives you that. But in general, I liked the sound environment. It was, you got a sense of the hubbub of the city. Mm -hmm. When buildings open, there's little men saying things like, everyone to work. Yeah, yeah, it's what the sound (laughs) direction. The day has ended. The sound direction is really good. (laughs) Work Um, day has ended. End of shift. Go rest all can. Yeah. Yeah, that's it, yeah. What's all the other bits of sound? There's lots of clanging in factories and all that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know what, whether you're... Auto- I think your automatons hiss. Do they hiss? <laughs> Not sure. Um, Probably. That's a hiss, if you weren't sure. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, bottom line, definitely recommend you play it mm. uh, if you like this kind of sort of resource management game. Uh, Teo says it's not an RTS. I think it's a little bit like an RTS. Uh, I, <laughs> could just, city builder, I could just be completely way. wrong on that, so... Definitely don't take me as an authority. <laughs> uh, either way, you should play it, but uh, especially because the cost isn't that much. I think I picked it up for about fifteen quid, which is good, to be honest. So I think if you if you pick it up for fifteen quid or something in a Steam sale, Steam sale, you're only going to be pleased. You're you're not going to be disappointed, I don't think. And to be honest, I'm a little bit. I don't know if I'm tempted by the expansions. I know earlier I said I'm, I wasn't, but I am kind of curious how they introduce. Basically, the whole game seems to depend on the cold. So when that isn't the threat, I'm kind of interested what they do instead. Mm. Uh, so maybe I could be tempted by that in a future Steam sale or something like that. Mm. All right, well, so that, that's the conclusion of Frostpunk. Do you want to add anything to your, the summary of Frostpunk? No, 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 not at all. I think we covered um, all of the points which I wanted to talk about. And yours really, is a solid thumbs up. Re- re- yeah, yeah, solid thumbs up. Really strong city building game. Haven't played a city builder in a while. Um, when I was playing it, this is really high praise. But there was one point when I was playing it where I thought, I don't think I've enjoyed a city builder this much. And since Pharaoh... The Pharaoh is the heart of Egypt. The land is its body. And the people are its blood. Which is my top city builder, one of my top games. Um, I think that was just a phase. And by the end, I thought, this is definitely not as good as Pharaoh. But um, but yeah no what it does it does does really really well and it tries to do a little. I remember about the pharaoh is everything <laughs> catching on fire all of the time, <laughs> neighbouring buildings just burning down in fire. Pharaoh is such a good game. Um, yeah, what it, it tries to do some new things with the genre I felt um, that don't quite work, but still kudos for trying them and it was really interesting to to play through and see what they see what they did so um yeah yeah uh, very good game okay so next time on pixel vision we're going to be talking about the outer wilds yes the outer wilds not to be confused with the outer Worlds, definitely which not. was released about the same time and has almost exactly the same name mm. and a similar aesthetic as far as i can tell if you go to any comment board underneath uh, an article about either of these games there will guaranteed be someone that thinks that the article is about the other game not the one it's actually about <laughs> and they'll be confused and someone will have to point out to them that's the other one sorry seriously yeah, but that there. sounds stupid but i have to confess that when i bought uh out to wilds which i want to quickly tell you i haven't even loaded up i was yes. like no i'm gonna wait i'm gonna wait so I've, I've stuck to my promise. Haven't even seen the boot screen. Uh, but yeah, when I bought it, um, I did have to double check that I wasn't buying 
of the outer worlds, which I already own. Yeah, you already own it. <laughs> so, you can't buy it again. Oh, but it's on. It's only on Epic Game Store, so you easily could have bought it again. Outer worlds is only on Epic. Yeah. God, I hate Epic. That's another conversation for another time. Mm. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this game. It got a lot of good reviews last year, and it sounds very, very interesting. So yeah, I guess that's all. We'll say about yeah, it for now. The premise is amazing. Fingers crossed. We shall see. Nice one. Well, thanks, Ben. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> Should I not thank you? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know why I put an Elvis voice on to say it. Well. <laughs> thank you very much, everyone. Uh, cool. That's a wrap. It was hope that pushed us forward. Slowly. Step by step. We knew the cost of our journey. And we paid the price. A hundred times. Finally, the time has come to build the last city on Earth. Nice. That was good. I felt like it was a little bit of a slow start, but we got into it quite well after about 10 minutes. Yeah, that was my fault, man. It's because uh, the coffee didn't kick in until about <laughs> really? 15 minutes. I thought you seemed really tired, and I was like, how early is it in Australia? It's, like, so it's like that I feeling like... you get when you w- wake up for an early flight, and you're like, oh, where am I? 